Welcome to the manor. Welcome back to the Led Zeppelin fanboy cast. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> sorry, I mean, welcome back to the macabre manor of mead, metal, and mayhem. I'm James. And I almost spit out my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mission. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so is that your impersonation of John Stewart's impersonation of George W. Bush? It is. Because it sounds an awful lot like butthead. <laughs> well... Or Beavis, whichever one. I'm trying, now I'm forgetting which one was which. I'm not saying my impersonation of John Stewart doing impersonations is very spot on. <laughs> uh, I can just say it irritates certain people, and I like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Listen. Anyway, I'm James. <laughs> I'm Jody. <laughs> and welcome back, and hope you're as excited to talk about Zeppelin as we are. Woo! I Well, yeah. <laughs> are they going to talk about, are, are the listeners going to talk about, yes, the listeners should talk about Zeppelin after they listen to our podcast. They should get around the water cooler or the pub and, and, and just, the pub. Well, as long as they're discussing our podcast and Led Zeppelin, yeah. you know. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so last time our, our episode on pre-Zep ended up being split into two because of length. And yes. I can't imagine that this one's going to be anything less than a trilogy from the number of notes. I, I was talking to Jody and I sent him the number of words I had listed in my, my notes, which is a sketch, which means I'll, I'll even talk more. And he's like, can't you pare that down? I said, that, that is after I pared it down. Yeah. <laughs> hey, only... can you tell what our favorite band is? <laughs> uh, and, you know, I will discuss why Zeppelin is very much probably definitely my favorite. I, I, overall, my favorite. Yes. If you start getting into genres and things, it's still going to be in a lot of them. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. You know, but uh, when, when we get to some of the songs, um, I'll go into detail about why I like them. And you, you can tell the listeners how, why, whenever the hell you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, I'll do it now. <laughs> I like, uh, I'll wait. <laughs> uh, so last time, um, we talked about how Zepp had just become Zeppelin and how they're about to embark on recording and touring. Yes. And, uh, and as a note, in all of these episodes, because we're going to try to do them, uh, at least in my mind, uh, Jody may have a different thought, uh, by sort of album and what's happening at each album. Yeah, kind of like what we've been trying to do with the Deep Purple stuff. Yeah, but there's going to be overlap. Um, yes. Because some touring will overlap with albums, some personal life things will overlap with touring. And so, you know, it'll be okay, though. I was going <laughs> to... I don't know what I was going to do. You, you said it'll be okay, though, and it just kind of sounded like you were trying to console somebody. It'll, they're there. <laughs> Sheldon's here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly who I pictured. <laughs> yeah, because he likes to be touched as much as me. <laughs> so after the last episode, uh, I, I had a couple people ask me why we kept calling John Bonham by the name Bonzo. Oh, uh, and. Okay. From what I understand, of course, I wasn't there, and you know how nicknames are, but from what I understand, it comes from a British cartoon dog who was very sweet and lovable, such as John Bonham was when, when he was sober. Yeah. And uh, Jody, of course, mentioned his other nickname, The Beast, which will still be coming up. Yeah, eh. we'll, we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not so bad right now. It, it's no. in a couple of episodes, well, a couple of albums. Yeah. But also asked why we called Plant Percy. And from, from what I've found, it's, it could be possibly, and I don't like the first one as much. I don't think it's as true, but one or two references say it's the famous English gardener, Percy Thrower. I can see that. 
Yeah, but the one I think it's from is from a movie called Percy, released in 1971 about a man who got a penis transplant and started fucking everything he possibly could. <laughs> kind of like Robert Arntur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I've not seen the movie. I've read up on it. It looks really neat. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know where you can find it, but the main character's name is Edwin, the protagonist. He names the transplanted penis Percy. So Percy's the actual name of the penis, not the character. Nice. <laughs> and uh, just a fun fact that can relate to one of our other episodes. One of the roles was played by, uh, played by Britt Eklund, who we mentioned in the Halloween episode where we discussed The Wicker Man, released in 73. Yeah. And another little thing of the episodes, we've mentioned the Kinks a fair number of times, especially in Distortion. Mm-hmm. The Kinks did the soundtrack to Percy. Huh. Did not know that. Yeah, kind of cool. Uh, they do a neat blues jam instrumental version of Lola. It's pretty good. Oh, cool. And as a brief little thing uh, to connect back to the other episode, because of some of the research where it kind of goes further on, uh, we've mentioned Robert uh, was given an uh, advice to take a percentage over a flat fee. Mm-hmm. And, and there are enough interviews and different writings that indicate at first both Robert and, and Bonham could have been on retainers for a flat, uh, making a flat fee. But there's also evidence that, you know, so because there's evidence they were given sets amounts of money at, at certain times for a while. Yeah. Um, but, but a lot of that has to do more with the Atlantic signing we're going to talk about soon and not much past that. So until something legal comes up, I, I'm, I'm going to just call it a wash. And uh, we mentioned that plant being iffy as a band member. Uh, a, a lot of these quotes I see about that tend to come from Richard Cole, who we mentioned as uh, the road manager. Yeah. Um, you got to take what Richard Cole said with a grain of salt, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's just it. Yeah. One of the neat things about Richard Cole, though, is that he knew Zepp. He met them in October uh, 68. And he asked Peter Grant if he could stay on with Zepp as their full-time road manager because he'd been bouncing around with different bands for yeah. uh, Grant and Mickey Most. And he knew they were going to be big. Or, of course, that's what everybody says who's attached to a big band. People who were attached to bands that fell to the wayside don't say it but right just kind of mentioning it because yeah a lot of the quotes were uh, not all of them but enough plants uncertainty in the band come from richard cole yeah maybe richard cole just didn't think he was gonna last (laughs) Uh, that that well there's a quote coming up uh that'll come to in a specific time that yeah that highlights their relationship because i i will say this having listened to a bunch of bootlegs from this first tour early in the tour <laughs> i don't see why they would have let him get away and and you know maybe i well cole wasn't there when they did the new yardbirds tour though was he i do not believe so no he took over for that first tour in america yeah um, which didn't happen until after they had changed the name and recorded the album so yeah yeah he and that, that, i guess that would be the other thing if they weren't comfortable by that point he would have already been out of the band. <laughs> I would think. Before they record? Yeah, if he wasn't yeah. doing it uh, when they uh, went around uh, Scandinavia and whatnot. What's yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why would you Why would you keep him on after that if you, you've already toured with him? You already know what he's going to be like. So, well, well, you say that, and then they go to the States, and apparently touring the United States at that point was totally different than touring anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll come to that soon too, but you're yeah. spot on. <laughs> so many stories by these English bands when they first come to America and 
what, what, I can just touch those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean you're putting them in my hand? What? <laughs> <sighs> okay, let, let, before we get off of the tangent, explaining why we wanted to become rock stars. <laughs> it wasn't for the money and the women. Oh, wait. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> everybody, in the, everybody in Led Zeppelin did. Had, had that, that artistic thing. But, you know... <laughs> they were all out to get laid too <laughs> they weren't going to do it if they weren't going to get paid and, exactly. and getting and, and, laid constantly yeah. was wonderful <laughs> yeah so yeah money and women yeah <laughs> well anyway enough of <laughs> captain's obvious <laughs> yeah there'll they'll be ample time to get back into groupies here in a little bit yeah <laughs> pun intended so to get it out of the way, um, so th there are rumors that Jimmy had considered uh, doing an acoustic type of band like, like Pentangle, which we'll get to uh, again later, and that he changed his mind when he heard Bonham play. Bonham was so heavy that he's like, oh, no, let, let's do heavy. And uh, to quote Jimmy, that's bullshit. And, and, <laughs> and moving on <laughs> with Jimmy, quote, <laughs> it's a, I had a whole sort of repertoire in my mind of songs that I wanted to put into this new format like Babe, I'm going to leave you, for example. Yeah. I'm seeing all this sort of dynamic because my tastes were all-encompassing musically. It wasn't down to just one particular thing. It wasn't just rock and roll. It wasn't just the blues. It wasn't just folk music. Okay, so I, because I had always heard that part of the reason that they, that Jimmy decided to keep the name Led Zeppelin, you know, the whole, the whole, diff, the whole concept there was the heavy and light, kind of like the, the band Iron Butterfly. Their name is heavy and light. Uh, their music was not as dynamic as what Led Zeppelin would do. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not good. No, uh, it is good. But yeah, but, Iron Butterfly was a really good band. But um, yeah, yeah. How's Jimmy phrase it? Uh, light and shade. Light and shade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That describes the sound he's going for. He wanted heavy and light, dark and bright, electric acoustic. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh? What's he call it? Um, calls it his uh, CIA method. Uh, Celtic, Indian, and Arabic, because <laughs> he yes. utilized all these different things for sounds. And, and I know uh, Jonesy agreed with this too. Yeah. Um, yeah, he got to use all sorts of different styles in his session work, and he wanted to keep doing that, which I, I think is why he and Pagey wanted to collaborate. Makes sense. In fact, I'll, I'm going to jump down and, and uh, got a little note here about how the band members, their varying roots worked well together. So, so, but they, they worked these different styles and in a, a, an in-sync type of way instead of being selfish about yeah. their styles. Like uh, Bonham loved Motown. Mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy was into folk and blues. Uh, Robert loved Elvis and the blues, and, and John, Paul Jones himself, was into uh, jazz and classical music. Yeah, yeah, and again, that's part of what makes Led Zeppelin so great, is you had all these different styles, and they could play all these different styles, and make it work, and be good at all these different styles. <laughs> <laughs> See, told you it was the Led Zeppelin fanboy cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> these will come up quite a bit, though. So we'll. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I started. I started to mention specific things, and I'm like, no, we'll get to them. <laughs> <laughs> again and again and again. <laughs> There's time. <laughs> Since we're talking about this, we'll we'll kind of begin with recording, because that, you know that was one of the first things they did at this point after they did their touring in Scandinavia as the New Yardbirds, and they came back like last time and did a bit around Britain as the New Yardbirds. Sometimes Led Zeppelin, other times. Um, yeah. Uh, Led Zeppelin 1 was recorded during October 1968 at Olympic Studios, uh, Barnes, South London. And one of the amazing things was it took 30 hours. Yes. And that was it. Uh, over a course of two weeks, it cost less than 1,800 pounds. Yeah. 
did you convert that into dollars for the day? No, no. I, I, I did not. I, I usually do that, don't I? You do. Well, then. I wouldn't know. worry about it. Yeah, good. Uh, suffice it to say, that's not a lot to record an album, especially one as good as this. No, it's not. Which, you know, they they had the advantage that a lot of these songs were already worked out, having been played live. So, And how much of that 30 hours was strict recording? I mean, uh, probably most of it. Um, Jones had a, a nice quote. The main mentality from Sessions was not to waste time in the studio. You rehearse in the rehearsal room and record in the studio, which seems obvious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jonesy, you and your dry wit. But yeah, they had their songs down from their touring and got to go in and, you know, they, of course they had to, to record, get a good sound, get the layering. You know where it peaked at? Uh, it peaked on the charts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have are, no idea. You are so smart. <laughs> uh, it would peak at number 10. So, I, you know, one of their worst peaking albums, but so peaked at 10 and stayed on the charts for a year and a half. But yeah, it only peaked at 10, but stayed on the charts for a year and a half is pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. And then, now, was, that, was that the UK charts? US. These are the US. But if I don't specify, well, oh, it'll, it'll be US. Okay. It's the US charts. We can be dumbasses sometimes when it comes to music. Well, Typically, a lot of these, like Zeppelin, and some of the bands do better in the U.S. than the U.K. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I should probably <laughs> live in the U.S. That's my default. <laughs> That's, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think other countries aren't kick-ass and awesome. I just happen to know more about the U.S. Oh yeah. Um, oh gracious! And no, I, I know, I know you're not hitting like ragging on me. <laughs> welcome, to that, Park, welcome to Park County slang. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Would I? Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> It'd be a bloody mess if you did. <laughs> I wonder if some of the 30 hours, so it was recorded with a live type of feel in order to help with the tour because when they go on tour to promote the album and support it, you know, they, they wanted that same sound. Yeah. Um, so it'd be similar to the album. I wonder if how much of that helped keeping the, uh, the time down. I probably quite a bit, although knowing what I do about Jimmy Page and him being a tightwad, that's probably he was probably looking for ways to keep from spending a whole lot of money in the studio to begin with. Could have been, although I though I think he kind of sunk in the uh, remainder of his uh, Yardbirds money for the or I, session money for this. I actually, I think you may be right on that. I do think I remember reading that. I think he used a lot of his session money to help finish the Yardbirds tour and his Yardbirds money to do the uh, album <laughs> yeah, yeah although jimmy explains it as wanting to capture the sound of the room live and the emotion of the whole moment yeah but it's now, probably because he's a greedy bastard too well that but the other thing is and what james means by this is is a, a lot of times especially now and this was kind of something that started with the beatles i think when or or as you started getting the recording technology started to become better and the number of tracks on the tape that you were recording to expanded. You didn't have to play live in, in all the instruments playing at one time in one take. You could record the drums and go back and record the bass and go back and record the guitars or the piano or, you know, and typically you'll do the vocals last. And what Zeppelin probably did, I'm assuming the instrumentalists, which would be Jimmy Page, John Bonham, and John Paul Jones, were all mic'd separately, 
but played together. Now, whether or not Robert Plant sang at the same time in a vocal booth or he laid the vocals down after they recorded the backing tracks, I don't know. You know, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You is largely acoustic, but obviously there's electric guitar. And I do know that Robert at least recorded the vocals for that twice because there was some ghosting on the tape. If you listen to it, you hear very faintly. He actually comes in a little bit early on on some of these because it was left over from the previous take. (laughs) Yeah, and it sounds awesome. I mean, you know, a lot of people would have gone in and said, oh, no, we can't use this. We can't use this. It's ruined. We got to redo the whole thing. And No, it sounds great. It's little stuff like that that gives stuff flavor. Yeah, and it's not yeah. produced, which yeah. is a thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, st- stuff like that influenced bands like Aerosmith, because I remember Steven Tyler talking about on several Aerosmith records, they had little mistakes that weren't really mistakes. They actually intentionally did that stuff so that it would be in there. And the album itself was engineered by Glenn Johns, who uh, you may recognize the name if you're into that type of thing at all. He had a pretty stellar musical career. Yes, uh, worked in the studio for bands like The Stones, The Who, Small Faces, Regular Faces. Yeah. I mean, I mean Faces, <laughs> Eagles, Beatles, Clapton, uh, and what's neat, Fairport Convention, who we'll mention again later in both the Zeppelin and when we get around to folk rock and metal episodes with uh, Sandy Denny. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. She's in Fairport Convention. We'll, we'll get to her with Zeppelin specifically uh, when we get to the fourth album. Yes. Glenn was from the same area as Jimmy, Epsom, and founded the Glenn Johns Method, <clears throat> TM, snicker, snicker, which was how to record drums. Uh, you'd use mics specific distances from the drums. Yeah. But uh, uh, Jimmy said he picked this up while a session musician, and he said it was he that used it on the album <laughs> and, and may have gotten it from him, and, and I can see that because Jimmy sounds like, you know, so the idea is to use two mics at different distances. Um, yeah. So you'd have kind of one closer and one further away rather than just a mic right up front. And you take that average and it gives it depth rather than this dull thud that you get just by having it close. Yeah. And um, as much as I love metal, I think that's something that's maybe missing now in some recording techniques. I I don't know that as many people do it today as they did back then. Yeah. Well, they should. But but getting back to the, the Glenn Johns method, which. Yeah. Could be Glenn. I am going with Jimmy because Jimmy produced it um glenn johns brought up also getting a producer credit and jimmy said there's no way in hell you're gonna share credit with me i put this band together i know what i want i'm in charge (laughs) (laughs) which i get because when you work with people like mickey most who we'll talk about in the yardbirds episode sometime in the future as a session man and with the yardbirds um yeah uh you can get irritated quite well with producers (laughs) yeah but Gillen did say uh, he'd never heard anything at Ilk before, and he was amazed at the arrangements, which would be Jimmy and, and Jonesy, yeah. and the playing. And uh, Glenn was not used on the next album, um, but even though it sounds like Jimmy was mad, he, he wasn't mad at Glenn. He just said, no, it's my baby. Yeah. But yeah, so Jimmy didn't use him because he was upset. He just, he used a different engineer all the time because he wanted people to know it was his sound and not the engineer's sound. Yeah. I was going to ask who the next engineer was, but I, one, I think I know, and two, we'll get to that in the next album. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, just as a note, because we may get technical on some of the instruments, uh, I, I don't really have much on that, except that a lot of pictures you see Jimmy Page is with a Les Paul, but during this first album and touring, uh, used a 58 Telecaster. 
Yes, for the most part. Refer back to another episode, of course, we talked about Roger Mayer and his uh, distortion pedal. Jimmy would wire it through Roger Mayer's uh, tone bender distortion pedal. Um, <laughs> the cover was uh, Hindenburg's Crash in, in New Jersey 37. Yes. And yes, uh, yes. was created by George Hardy, who also had helped with Beck's Truth album. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I, I wonder if he always regretted charging a flat 60 pounds. <laughs> he done. <laughs> yeah, you lost out on that one, dude. <laughs> a little bit. But, but, you know, it did help him get on the way to uh, being a part of Hypnosis, uh, that huge design yeah, that would do a ton of album covers. Uh, yeah, um, well, they did some of the Zeppelin ones, and they did some Pink Floyd. And Floyd is a big one, yeah. Yeah, gosh, I mean, they just yeah, they were kind of the go-to for classic album covers. And I think we'd mentioned in the last episode that Chris Dreja took the photo of the band for the back album back. Um, I think we did, but just in case, it's good to mention it again. Yeah, so Chris Dreja took the photo of the band for the album back. Yeah, and oh. Here we go. So here's my note to, to, uh, to make sure what we said earlier is true, because I forget which way I said it. But the album was finished with what was left over of Jimmy's session money as the Yardbirds left over cash wasn't much because that's what he'd been used to tour Scandinavia. So I, I okay. think I did reverse it earlier. So session money for album, Yardbirds money for Yardbirds Scandinavia tour. Somehow appropriate. Does does seem that way. Yeah. And uh, got a little note here. We'll get into the songs at the end of the episode because otherwise it kind of chops things up. Yes. Um, that's actually all I have on recording, except for the, the song-specific things. Did, did you have anything? Nope. All right, then. So there's a slight bit of happenings uh, between that and signing, which is a little bit of touring. Yep. And we, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit. Uh, October 19th, we mentioned last time, the final concerts with the old name. And, and my note is because posters were already printed, but like Jody and I talked about earlier, there are several different things. And mm-hmm. uh, then, then they became Led Zeppelin a week later. No, here we go. Name chosen off of Keith Moon's 1966 Bex Bolero session joke. So we, we kind of talked about that. <laughs> now, now, there is another we'd mentioned also that there's some evidence that Chris Dreja either owned the name or partially owned the name and sent a citizen deceased letter. Mm-hmm. So we kind of keep using it. And I, I, I couldn't tell you which is true. I could see both being true. Uh, they want yeah. to move on anyway. I think we mentioned that last time, right? Uh, we may have. I mean, yeah. until I see the letter, don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, could be either way. Uh, uh, yeah, notice. I just personally, my own feelings on it, or I really don't think that Paige would have wanted to continue as the New Yardbirds. That part was over and done with. Yeah, yeah he and wanted his own thing. This band was nothing like the Yardbirds. So their their first show was for 150 pounds. So I know Jody mentioned earlier that when you don't have a huge name or, you know, even if you're going under the new yard birds, that's still different than the yard birds. You may not get paid a lot. Yeah. But yeah, so they took one of their first shows, 150 pounds at Surrey university played a few nights later at the marquee in London, uh, next night at Liverpool university. You know, some of these is Led Zeppelin. So most of these is the new yard birds at this time still, but they're uh, getting ready to be nothing but, but Led Zeppelin from this point on. Now, one of the neat things about the marquee show, Mm-hmm. After the show, everybody goes backstage and everybody looks at John Bonham and he's got these cuts all over his face. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell? He goes, oh, they're from my symbols because he'd been hitting them too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds uh, about right. <laughs> when, when he was first learning to play the drums, he had to figure out a different way to actually strike the drum because he kept breaking the drum heads. Yep. What I've read is that he had to actually, instead of hitting it straight on, he had to actually kind of swing the stick as it hit 
otherwise he'd just keep breaking the drum heads and having to re- stop and replace them during the show. <laughs> oh, Bonzo. And during this time, uh, Carmen Jane Plant, Robert Plant's eldest, born October 21st. And as a fun fact, she later married Charlie Jones. Um, no relation to John Paul Jones, because that's not John Paul's actual last name. <laughs> um, but she married Charlie Jones, who was Robert Plant's solo tour bassist. And also he was he helped uh, record the Page and Plant when they did a few things. Yes, yeah. Um, neat little, like, sort of folklorish level type of thing. Okay. Uh, so October 26th uh, is one of the things, the places I've seen where they're absolutely true first official Led Zeppelin concert, where they actually were Led Zeppelin no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. Uh, but supposedly, Bristol's Boxing Club, they had stuff thrown at them. First time Zeppelin played, get off the fucking stage! <laughs> can see it. Yeah, that's not what you're ready for when you're thinking, oh, they're going to be the Yardbirds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nope. nope. <laughs> uh, then November 9th, Robert marries Maureen. But they play a gig that night, so don't really get to have a honeymoon. Huh. But yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of all I have on a bit of touring before we talk about the signing. Okay. Yeah, let's get to the signing. I like this story. All right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the signing of Led Zeppelin. Uh, November 11th, 1968, the band signs with Atlantic Records. Yeah. Uh, Ahmet Erdogan, I always screw up his name, Erdogan. Yes. And Jerry Wexler were, were keen on having them, like, like a lot. They were very interested in having them. And uh, Ahmet had signed Cream and Iron Butterfly previously. Yes, but... He had not signed them to Atlantic proper. He signed them to the subsidiary ATCO. Making Led Zeppelin the, the first, first rock band. Yes. Signed to Atlantic. On the Atlantic main label. <laughs> yes. Woo! Yeah. Haha. <laughs> Suck at everybody else. Atlantic was largely known up to that point for jazz and uh, I think R&B. Uh, one of the neat things, though, uh, about label mate, well, semi-label mate, Iron Butterfly. Uh-huh. First of all, Platinum Record. Yes. In Nagata DeVita. So one of the things that may have helped a bit, Jerry Wexler uh, got a vote of confidence from Dusty Springfield, huh. who'd, who'd recommended the band, or at least John Paul Jones, because John Paul had worked closely with, with her, Dusty, in the studio. Yeah. Anyway, so, so on the record, uh, for the signing, they got a $200,000 advance, which at the time would have been, like, was killer anyway, let alone it, for a band who hadn't done anything. <laughs> it was the it was the it's, it was the biggest advance at that time, wasn't it? I I that's what I've seen, but I didn't really verify it. So yeah, I, well, I, maybe not the biggest advance at that time, but maybe the biggest advance for a band that had not done anything previous. Here's where you're talking about earlier. How much was that nowadays? I actually have that because they were two hundred thousand dollars American, which today <laughs> would be worth one point five million. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's a nice yeah. little payday. Yep. And uh, out of this, and this is what we were talking about earlier, where during the signing, Robert Plant and John Bonham got a sort of just a a flat amount, like a cash advance type of thing. Um, So out of this, Plant and Bonham, those poor black country boys were given 3,000 pounds, and they bought matching gold Jaguars. (laughs) (laughs) And and that was black country, as in the area of England they came from? Yes. Not black country boys. <laughs> oh, right. So I, I'm sorry. Between the couple of previous Zep episodes and the Robert Plant folklore, now I'm just assuming when I talk about Plant and Bonham and say black country, people would know the area I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm just specifying just to be on the safe side. <laughs> well, fair, fair point. <laughs> anyway, the agreement had Jimmy producing, Grant uh-huh. executive producing, 
And, and Atlantic was pretty much uh, there doing the manufacturing, distributing, and some promoting. Yes. Uh, anyway, Epic, EMI, CBS Records, uh, the labels from various countries and sub-labels and stuff. So Columbia. Uh, they, yeah. But you said, yeah well, that's, that's another one, Columbia Records. Yeah. They thought they were going to get Zeppelin assigned uh, because they had Beck and they'd had the Yardbirds. Yeah. But Jimmy's well, Clive, contract. Clive Davies. <laughs> You'll hear about him. <laughs> uh-huh. Yardbirds. Uh, but Jimmy's contract allowed him to go his, uh, on his own route as he's, it was no longer the Yardbirds, which actually also could have had to do with them switching names and being like, sure, Chris, have it. <laughs> yeah, I see. And that's, that's kind of another reason why I don't think he really intended to keep the Yardbirds name. Yeah, he, he wanted full control. And Atlantic agreed to that, and he didn't trust Epic to do so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Zeppelin had complete artistic control in this, this contract they signed with Atlantic. So Zeppelin had complete control over the music, how long the songs were, what was in the songs. They had complete control over the artwork. And this will come up later because Atlantic fought them on some things and Zeppelin always came out on top because it was in the contract. Yep, it's ours. Yeah. Which is. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you'll, you'll read some very interesting things like Peter Grant goes and talks to the guys at <laughs> Epic Columbia and, and they're yeah. like, so what about Jimmy's new project? And he's all like, no, we just signed with Atlantic and everybody gets real quiet and jaws drop and pissed off and Peter walks out smiling and happy. <laughs> yeah. And, and Clive Davies threatened to sue because he thought he owned Paige's contract. <laughs> uh, you can threaten in one hand and shit in the other, Clive, and see which one fills up first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so one of the things about this artistic control we've been talking about and the album and how they wanted everything, Peter Grant helped with the signing and they wanted Atlantic for this reason because he and Jimmy actually had a, a plan. Uh, they, they didn't stress about singles like a lot of bands did. In fact, in fact Peter's thought on this was you, if you put a single out, you're competing for a spot on the charts. And if you didn't chart, you failed. But if you didn't release a single, you couldn't fail. You don't fail if you don't try. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first step to failure is <laughs> trying. <laughs> uh, but it didn't hurt that at this time, album-oriented rock, which Jody's mentioned in Deep Purple episodes, and we may do a, its own episode on, yeah, because we started talking about it when we were doing some of the metal podcast stuff, uh, but yeah. albums were starting to outsell singles. Yes. And, and you have to wonder if, if they saw this happening. Um, and Jimmy even mentioned it in a 91 interview that we were fortunate enough in those days not to have to do singles. It was an album market at the time. Bands like that, like Zeppelin and other bands, were really good about putting together an album that was cohesive and sounded good. I mean, all the songs don't have to be the same. Right. Well, the, the album was that uh, picture in time of what the band was doing. Yeah, and, and that's a good point with this album. I mean, you get won't really go too much into the songs, but you get songs that are blazing hard rock, bordering on heavy metal, speed metal specifically. Uh, you get heavy blues tunes. You get some folky stuff in there. And, you know, it, it doesn't all sound the same, but there's a, there's a consistency with the band sound throughout it. Anyway, um, to, to kind of finish up this little bit, I, I've got a few things. A press release for the band members. That. Do what? So you should get that looked at. I did. I got some penicillin. Oh, okay. Penny gave it to me. <laughs> I love Dr. Hook. <laughs> They're so good. Uh, anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, put all that together in a Google search. You'll get it. <laughs> oh, uh, Shel Silverstein, too. Because <laughs> yeah. I think he wrote the lyrics to that one. Yeah, we need to do an episode on Shell. <laughs> yes. 
A uh, press release for the band mentions Led Zeppelin being the eighth British group to be signed by Atlantic in a two-year period. Uh, and, of course, we talked about them actually being on Atlantic, but they're talking about ATCO, too. Uh, but it includes yeah, Cream. Um, the Stones were on ATCO at one time, too, weren't they? Uh, they weren't one of the eight listed, so they could have been later. Okay. Yeah, they may have been. But Cream was. Cream was one. And I mentioned them because yeah. we've talked about Cream a lot. And I'm not going to mention them all, but another that was a previous band was Arthur Brown. Okay, yeah, you've mentioned Arthur Brown in another episode. Yeah, the, the chorus paint episode, which is why yeah. I thought I'd refer back to that. Okay, yeah. And then the, the press release, in all caps, Atlantic Records signs England's hot new group, Led Zeppelin, in one of the biggest deals of the year! Because exclamation points in all caps, that's how you have to read that. Yes. Didn't Zeppelin eventually name their pub- music publishing company, what was it, Mega Hype? Super Hype. Super Hype? Yeah. This is where that comes from. <laughs> and, and super hype around this press release and the, around, the band. And, around that and a sort of a tongue-in-cheek fuck off to the British critics. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. The, the British critics, when they saw this press release, they were like, what the fuck? Who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Jody's not talking about Swan Song, their, uh, their own record label, but they're... they're yeah, yeah the, the, the company that actually publishes like the sheet music and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. And, uh, and, and just um, to, to give a little bit more, uh, according to Mick Wall, who I just mentioned, um, Grant did try some English record labels. It's not like he went to America because that's where everything was happening, uh, even though that is where they got their deal. He, he did go to English record labels, but they just weren't coming across with any good deals, like almost no, like almost no money offered, very little. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's when Grant did go to America in November. And, uh, and, and I got to say, um, when reading through all this effort that Grant went to and, and fondly called G, mm-hmm. I, he went to a lot of effort for the band. So it's easy to see how close he was to the band. Yeah. Um, and this sort of matches up with the protectiveness that we've talked about Don Arden when we talked about his finger breaking thing. Uh, yeah. But, but it wasn't just a selfish protective. He wanted it to be a family. Like he, he hitched yeah. himself to Jimmy and to Zepp because – he felt something kindred to them and wanted to be a part of it and not just, not just make, he wanted the money, but Mm -hmm. it it was more than that. He he wanted to be a family with Zeppelin. Yeah. And, and as a final quote, because we're getting here to the end of uh, this episode anyway, and yes, as we're recording, we're (laughs) maybe a quadrigy. (laughs) Quadrigy. Okay. (laughs) We'll see. Um, But one last thing here, because we're talking about Peter Grant quote from John Paul Jones. Peter trusted us to get the music together and then just kept everybody else away, making sure we had the space to do whatever we wanted. Nice. But yeah, that, that's probably it because as we're recording, uh, we're over the hour mark now and it'll be pared down a bit, but oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am three and a half pages into 11 pages of notes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes, my child. <laughs> In nomine Seamus, e spiritus corvus. Anyway. What? The name of James and the spirit of the crow. <laughs> That's what I thought you said. <laughs> I knew the first part, but I was like, e spiritus corvus. Wait, what? <laughs> Say what I think he said. <laughs> and I don't know Latin very well, but I know those words. <laughs> Heathen. <laughs> Coming up, we'll, we'll talk about their main touring in, in America and, and some things, and we'll go into the actual album and the songs in, in a bit more detail. And Yeah. Yeah, do, do you have anything else, Jody? Nope. 
All right, then. We will let you all go, and <laughs> we'll see you back soon. Later. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Let me finish up this game of Halo, and I can focus on <laughs> what we're doing. Come on, you big bad brute. There you go, die. <laughs> Damn, freaking notes do I have there? <laughs> there we I go. Know. How many do you have? Enough to fill my pants. <laughs> that's, a, that's some notes. <laughs> Not really, my dictates some most, most of the space. <laughs> okay. Heavy, heavy. Awaken, awaken. All right, I am having Bellhaven Scottish Ale. Nice. I am having a Founders All Day IPA Session Ale. That's nice. good. That's good. It is. Nice low ABV because that will help offset um, the beer I had before we started recording. <laughs> la, 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 center point black, too deep, Dead Rabbits Irish. Hmm. Yeah, Dead Rabbits uh, actually comes from an uh, Irish gang um, when all the Irish were coming over. And, oh, cool. And uh, too deep, King Fergus Brown Ale. Uh, I don't know what the second part of that was, but it was supposed to be part of Jimmy's solo. <laughs> but never mind. Was, somebody edited that, put in part of C.C. DeVille. That's <laughs> played on a dead cat. <laughs> or a dying, dying cat. <laughs> yeah, poor cat. Where's the kitty? The kitty was over there. He got up and moved. I know what I was going to talk about, C.C. DeVille. <laughs> And uh, something was said about how she got a hug at work for something. And Sam goes, that's one less I have to give you this week, right? <laughs> Kiss only really did that on one album. They really underutilized it, Eric. So you know, uh, it's funny. Just yesterday, I was listening to Paul Stanley doing some of the reading from his new book, which I really need to get. But one of the things was talking about Eric Carr and his drumming. And, it, well, at first, he's making fun of Peter Chris. <laughs> because he said he could, Peter could barely do one bass drum at a time. <laughs> There's no damn way they're going to do two. But when Eric Carr joined, he could actually do some double, you know, two bass drums. Yeah. Did, you know, like my, my, the best person at it ever was John Bonham, who was who did who even made it sound have. like he had two bass drums with one. <laughs> yes. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about Mickey Mouse. When we do a Yardbirds episode, we're going to have to, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't know. It bothers me because it's not for guitarists like normal people. It's for collectors, and I, I kind of think that's bullshit. Yeah. So, sorry, Jimmy. I love you, but selling your guitar as much as you are. I also use the Vox Wah pedal. Yeah, what, whatever. This isn't the Kirk Hammett episode either. I'd say jump in where you need to, but you've been doing a good job of that anyway, <laughs> which is good. Like you were going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, you did. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or I had several shots of my lord. No, maybe I imagined it. <laughs> and our fans in Nova Scotia and uh, where was it? Michigan? Michigan, yeah. Yeah. They know what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, assuming you're done because it got oh, quiet yeah. for a second. Yeah. I was also taking a drink of beer, but. <laughs> uh, it's been a good beer night for me. You've been talking quite a bit, so I've got to put the pint to my face several times. <laughs>